0: You are listening to the Path Podcast on Mountain Bike Radio. Welcome
1: to another episode of the Path Podcast. Uh, this is Nathan here with Tawny and Ock, and that is a random pink bike video because I was a little lazy on picking something and so that's what the kids listen to. I and a it. good evening to you, sirs.
2: <laughs> it's always great to be here with you guys. Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, so regular show today, nothing too exciting. I think we talked about, we're going to talk about bands. Mm, maybe up. talk about new bikes, maybe talk about listener questions, maybe talk about traveling. I like when
0: vans had those sweet custom shoes. <laughs> 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 we were, <laughs> Nathan meant like a van, like when you would drive and I intentionally messed it up. <laughs> yes, you did. Sorry. I actually, i sorry. The levels are a little bit.
1: Off from last time. Levels. Yeah.
0: We're... That's a cool Keith reference right there.
1: <laughs> uh, So, yeah. Are we
2: Okay. It sounds better now. Okay. is going to give you shop news. Awesome. So, man, the Path Bike Shop Holiday Lights Ride is coming up. And that's going to be Sunday, December 16th. Meet up at 5, 5.30, rolling out at 6 o'clock at the Path Bike Shop in Tustin. There are some amazing holiday lights displays in Tustin the finale where we go is really good oh
0: yeah over there off Red Hill like a little bit like southwest of Irvine Boulevard mm-hmm. th- that neighborhood has a long tradition of really taking pride in their holiday lights
2: yeah it's it's so amazing don't they close that street off and it's uh, people it's just walking but it since feels we're online, like it
0: it yeah. might as well be it's like parade pace if you want to drive through there it is
2: so it's pretty awesome. Uh, bring lights helmets for night riding safety, and after the ride, we're going to end up at Tustin Brewing Company for post ride merriment. They've
0: got the old town back on tonight. I stopped nice. on my way over. It was out. You know they had a, they had a crisis yes their their stack melted, which is pretty awesome. Wait, what was this? So you know if you want to brew beer, you have a burner that, like, boils the water to, like, break down. Oh, the right. So it's oxygen. like a chimney. Yeah. It, it, it was, um, I think, galvanized steel, and it melted because of, because something went wrong with the burner. It was burning too hot. Oh. So, yeah. Tustin Brewing Company, they have um, their Kettle Crisis, which is the beer they made in tribute to their crisis. <laughs> it's oh, good nice. times. Yeah. They're kind of like our sister business, our, our, our brewery sister, brother, cousin. Nice. Nice. Step step stepmom. Identifying as Jason the mogul owns the castle, the test brain <laughs> company, and it's awesome. It is. It is. They support the path, they support our race team,
2: they give us kegs for our events. I'd stack the IPA, the old town IPA up against the best.
0: Yeah. Like let's just bring let's just I'm just gonna go out there and say I think it's better than Pliny. Mm, I would agree with that. And I and I don't know what else to say
2: that it could be better than to make more of an impression. <laughs> I mean and don't get us wrong. They, they actually, when they do have the younger on tap, they get they get lines out the door for for the younger, and then I go in and there will be someone there who lined up to buy the younger
0: and I'll have an old town.
2: yeah I'm, I'm es- the same. especially the current batch.
0: Oh my gosh, is that right?
2: Oh my gosh, the mogul should be so proud. Can we get this done and we can head over afterwards? Ah. <laughs> I was kidding. <laughs> Hurry up! But you Hurry can up. join us
0: at the holiday lights ride and then
2: go to the Test and Brand Company. That is true. And we have weekly shop rides where you know, I mean, if you want to head over to the the castle afterwards uh, after rides, whether it be uh, things like the Whiting Luge ride on on December first, um, Sunday bi- Sunday Sunday bike rides, you know, rolling out. Uh, stop by at at testing brewing afterwards for whole town IPA now yeah it's it's always good man and the hef by the way if you like wheat beers if you like wheat beers it's like a blend
0: between like an american wheat it's got a hint of like the banana clove of a german hef mm-hmm. but it's really
2: more of an american wheat mm-hmm. man i just remember i used to have this um lemon infused vodka <laughs> And I I don't know if it was a holiday or video video premiere, but I brought a bottle of that along and and infused some of the, the Hef. Mm. Mm. It was good times.
0: Sounds delightful. Quite an adventure.
2: Elrod, if you're out there, it was good times. Oh, he's out there. Oh, he's out I there. I rode Oaks with Joel
0: today. Really? Yep. Oh, my gosh. He's on his um, Transition Sentinel. He got a 2019 Sentinel oh, GX Eagle oh my Carbon. Nice. He's shredding it. Did yeah, he get the
2: sure. wine color one? No, he got the gray and black. Oh, well, Pretty well. good for an old man, <laughs> riding in his dickies. He was, <laughs> is. So I, I recently, um, I was at a surplus army, navy, whatever surplus store, and, and they had a bunch of dickies, and got a couple dickies for a couple young men that uh, a couple pairs of dickies for young men that I know, and I ended up getting the longer longer inseam like a 13 inch inseam. like a 13 inch yeah and when you have dwarfism in your legs it might as well be um, um those say. are like culottes <laughs> exactly or, so or
1: knickers knickers yeah we, we did have some listener questions on what specific dickies you guys like to ride in yeah because so i think there i thought there's a four-way stretch
2: one there is i saw that and i'm really interested in maybe finding so there. you guys ride in Old school Dickies. Old.
0: Like, so, Auk rides in old school Dickies. Mm-hmm. I have ridden in old school Dickies, but I have some newer school Dickies that I ride in. For the stretch? That are stretchier, and I think they're an 11 inch inseam. Yeah, that's the standard one. The 11 inch is a standard. I think they call it the like performance flex or something like that. Um, you could probably log on to Amazon through Mountain Bike Radio and then buy them. They're like 20 bucks. Yeah,
2: I think all Dickies are 20 bucks. On Amazon, like 21 or 19.
0: I think the four-way stretch ones are like 40. Not on, on Amazon. More. The four-way stretch ones?
2: Yeah. I thought they were Performance
0: more. Flex, I think it's called. Um, I'm trying to find my old orders on Amazon. Maybe I'll get back to you guys on that.
2: Is it really kind of, it is four-way stretch? I think so. Oh, man. So, yeah. So um, for years, and I probably had five pairs of these. It's probably I've had the same five pairs of the eleven inch inseam dickies, just your standard non-stretch, old school with a little side pocket, cell phone pocket, cell phone pocket, right? <clears throat> and, um, I mean, literally for, I will just wash and dry these for the sake of getting them a little bit softer. <laughs> That's right, with rocks and sand and boulders. <laughs> exactly. I ask. I I, I ask a. Every time I wash these, please dry them fully. <laughs> um and yeah, five, maybe ten years I've been I've I've had some pairs of Dickies and they're now like soft and Oh right. Yeah. So um
1: So I'm 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 a little bit more bougie these days and I've been rocking the Patagonia dirt craft shorts. Mm, and I really like those. Yeah. Oh no, dirt roamer. I'm sorry, those are dirt roamers. roamers. They're dirt roamers and dirt craft. But yeah, I brought Patagucci shorts. How
0: nice. do you think those take a crash?
1: They're really lightweight. They're right. they're four way stretch. They're like taped, like welded seams. Mm. They have like one pocket on them. I mean, they're they're nice, but yeah, you're, they're probably not going to hold up well. I, I I don't. They're pretty thin. They're light, right?
2: But that's why I like them. I will say, but this... I don't think they're
1: going to last no fifteen years.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say this: the Dickies. Um... They've got a really nice fit around the waist, like we've always talked about, and they don't snag. But they're pretty loose down around the knees, right? And they're—I don't know—maybe I'm just like overselling and remembering good times in Dickies, but they to me seem cooler than they would appear. Because oh yeah, they're very loose fitting, um, and uh, and I think they're. They're not breathable, but because of the loose fitting down around the knees, it feels like they are. Yeah. Well, based on your price,
1: you can buy five pair of Dickies <laughs> for the price of one pair <laughs> of Patagonia shorts, that. which is on par with most Patagonia items of clothing.
2: Yeah. See, like
1: the stretch.
0: Dickies men's 11-inch regular fit stretch twill work short, wrinkle resistant. That's what you want. Nineteen ninety nine on Amazon. Yeah. Thoughts to you- promote Amazon because... They are probably dicks, <laughs> <laughs> but I do buy stuff from them because it, maybe because I'm I, something that...
2: Because we you can't we, not. It's Amazon. <laughs> they have everything. <laughs> and they
1: drop it on your door. I know. Sometimes the, the same, day, same day. The same day even. We live in a greater metropolitan area That's that right. has good, That's right. good ordering.
0: I'm just going to put like a gas pump down my throat and just pull. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel right now talking about this. Because you know, I mean, but as long
1: as you click through the banner ad on Mountain Bike Radio, all is well. That is that's true. <laughs> true. That will
0: resolve you of all karma. <laughs> because there is the part of this where these are basically just plastic that's going to contribute to the plastic pile <laughs> in the Atlantic.
1: But if you wear them for fifteen years, but if you buy the Patagonia ones, Yvon Chouinard will bless you and say you're good to the environment.
0: That is true man i would
2: totally like to get his sail mast. never mind <laughs> <laughs> but you know what i've never felt the need to have stretchy dickies maybe that's because you never have had them that's true mm. it's like, <laughs> so there's a <laughs> i'm gonna have to try them the <laughs> best right. you know
0: is the best you've ridden
2: <laughs> <laughs> until you try it it's just what i that's
1: mean. the old that's the old uh what was it race tech the suspension company, the motorcycle suspension company, Paul Thede, Race Tech, best you know, the best you ride. <laughs> that's kind of their mantra.
2: Um, are we good on shop news? We have shop news. Yeah, we have more. We have a little bit more. Um, Giant is coming in. Giant and
1: Liv are coming in. Giant's actually riding tonight. I mean, it's not going to be on the show, or no, tomorrow night.
2: No, de- December second. They're actually a, no. They're uh, doing oh, a night. Yeah. Oh, it true. was. They're, oh,
1: is it this Thursday? I thought it was this Thursday, like the one that's going to be too soon for this show.
2: Yeah, but there is an actual demo that will might make it. Dis- Sunday, oh. oh. second, second at the
0: Tustin Shop Giant Live. <clears throat> that right. Show right. that this show might be up by then, but probably not. Mm. Mm.
2: So Beautiful. it is at the the Tustin Shop nine to two. A bunch of really cool bikes, uh, including a, a Trans Pro twenty nine er, Tani, um, and uh, yeah, yeah. Live, Live Cycle is going to have some cool bikes as well. Um, the Hale Advanced 1, that's nice. Uh, and then, Patani, maybe talk to us a little bit about the Giant Bike. You mean my New Trans Advanced 29? Mm-hmm. Let's come
0: back to that after we finish Shop News. All right. Because I want to say the ugly sweater ride is back. We had to take a break from that because some drama that surrounded it. What have you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that the person who was heading up the ugly sweater ride is a persona non grata around oh, the path now. Oh, God. Okay, got it. Uh, and, oh, I right. thought
1: it was like elves and
0: like stealing sweaters or like I mean, angry gnomes. <laughs> I, got, I got my sweater stolen and I was mad for a while and now we're going to have the ugly sweater ride again. <laughs>
2: oh, man. <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> I'm glad I could make Auk laugh. I mean, it, if I could make one person laugh, it would be It was <laughs> awesome. You should buy a Patagonia sweater I know. if you're gonna. Go. <laughs> I think that's gonna be my thing would from it here be on out. Ugly. Whenever, whenever <laughs> I there's hope a it recommendation.
1: Get stolen. <laughs> <laughs> whenever we talk about any product, I'm just gonna suggest the Patagonia version thereof. Oh, awesome! Did you have dinner Did tonight, make, Tani? Do they make? Did you know Patagonia <laughs> makes food?
0: <laughs> do they make 12-speed?
1: Derailer pulleys, <laughs> they do, but
0: it's in, <laughs> it's responsibly sourced from recycled <laughs> aluminum. <laughs> do they make like uh, um, adult butt wipes? Oh, man. yes,
2: <laughs> it's responsibly
1: responsibly <laughs> sourced <laughs> from recycled. renewable oh, trees man. that are <laughs> from recycled. Butt you wipes. are talking
0: my language. Responsibly sourced does hit a, a p- pings me nicely. <laughs> nice.
1: Yvon Chenard
0: uses them when he
1: goes fly fishing <laughs> oh, for man. eight months at a time. While running his business remotely, or
0: none at all. So that being said, ugly sweater ride, December 23rd. Meet at the Black Star Gate at 8. Roll at 8.30. All levels, festivities, fun times. Oh, my God. It's actually a pretty good ride, too. Um, the climb up from the gate to Beek's Place is probably... Nine weird. miles. Yeah. yeah, nine miles, probably approaching 2,000 feet of elevation, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. And do some Googling. There's haunted shit in Black Star. Mm. And I think there's... I, there's <laughs> probably going to be a party at Beak's Place. If you've never been to Beak's Place, it's kind of a cool spot. It used it to is. be a dwelling, and it's just like some um, river rock walls now. Yeah, It's haunted. Foundations are still there. Yep. Nathan thinks there's ghosts there.
1: No, I just remember when I was in high school, there were some kids going, we're going to Black Star, man. There's a tree. You can feel the heartbeat. It's haunted. Wow. <laughs> so
0: maybe you can Wikipedia this before the ride. So you, tell me if it's you, true. If you go to the... If you go to the sweater ride, and if you drink enough from various people's (laughs) flasks that come to the sweater ride, you might feel the heartbeat. On all the trees. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And bring your ugly sweater. Yes.
1: And if you don't have one, buy a Patagonia sweater. (laughs) This is terrible.
0: It's awful. (laughs) So we're having our holiday light ride, and this is kind of like that, but in the day and with an actual hard mountain bike ride. Nice. So it's like a party on wheels, but with an actual good climb, especially a climb. I mean... A proper ride. Pro, it's a proper ride. <laughs> eight
2: o'clock in the morning. In the morning. Okay.
0: In the a.m.? In the a.m. Whoa. Rallying at eight, rolling at 8.30. And, um, you know, this is the kind of ride where you might want to, like, have some merriment at 7.30 before you come <laughs> with your coffee. It's <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs>
2: Awesome, getting the right. right frame of mind <laughs> 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 all right, any other shop news I think there's a good. l we should just
0: move on before I like
2: spew too much, <laughs> but I've said
0: too much already
2: all right yes. um trance advance twenty er Oh, yeah, do you want to go there first?
0: Sure, we could talk about so I got my new trance advanced twenty nine I did a ride at Oaks the other day. Um came back with a bunch of notes on how I wanted to tweak it. Spent a couple hours this afternoon like moving headset spacers around and like rolling the bars like roll the bars forward a little bit. Um torque the stem face plate bolts to spec. Take it for a little spin and then roll them back a little bit, mm-hmm. torque the stem face, big pulse, mm-hmm. and then take it for a spin and roll them forward back a little bit, and then move the brake levers in a little bit. And so I spent a lot of time today kind of like just kind of geeking out on it and making it mine. Yeah. And then I took it for a ride at Oaks, and
2: it, it's sweet. I would say it's a cu- t- 26, 26. And three quarter pound bike without pedals? With pedals. With twenty
0: pedals. sub twenty six with without pedals. Okay, so And I, that's
2: with two three
0: DHRs. Oh EXO.
1: So yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's like to me, the I I really like the transition smuggler that I have. I really like the geo to it, but I do think it's a bit porky. Um probably because of the build I have, probably because of you know, the frame probably is heavier than a comparable giant. So I guess uh that's why I would go with the, I think the weight benefit is what would draw me to a giant and maybe sideline the smuggler for a while.
0: You know, I also think the Maestro suspension is possibly more kind of controlled and behaved than the giddy up.
2: Yeah. Although I don't have
0: enough time on the Giddy Up to say that with great confidence. Yeah. But I will say that I've always really felt the Maestro suspension feels like a well tuned DW link to me, which always, I feel like it's very, very efficient. It moves when you want it to and not when you don't for the most part. Although it's interesting, on this particular bike, I do feel like there's a little bit of like, so I've got that, the, um, I think it's the DVO. I forget what rear shock is on there. I
1: think they make one air. It's their air shock. So I think there's it's got three one. positions. Topaz two, 2,
0: 3. It's got three positions. And in the open position, it feels a little squishy on pedaling. Really? Even only with 115? Yeah. In the middle position, it still, to me, feels a little squishy on pedaling. Hmm. And then in the firm position, it feels too firm to me. uh. huh. But if I kind of tune that out and ignore it, it climbs really well in the middle and open position and firm position. Hmm. And it, it's more of like a um, perception thing. Like, why does it feel so squatty when I kind of bounce on it? Yeah. And, and a little bit of like, I think this is like, I see the suspension moving and I wonder why, and if it should be and stuff. But it's a small nitpick overall, and I don't. And it, it I do think it, it climbs awesome. Like maybe better than my high tower, which I didn't have that complaint about. Mm. So, hmm. you know, it's not like a. It's not like it doesn't even in the open position it climbs really really well. But it feels like a little bit squatty yeah, to it, me. So, well, yeah. There's also a weird resonance to the bike, oh, like really? a sound resonance. So I haven't had any like major issues with this yet, but just working on it, I can tell that there's like a...
1: Like when you click through the gears, you hear a little bit of like a ring through the frame? Yes. Yeah. So here's where I hear this all the time is uh, I recently did a cyclocross race maybe a week or two ago, and those guys like to use deep dish carbon wheels and like lightweight carbon frames and when they rack through the gears especially particularly if they have a sram shifting system it's like clung, 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 clung. like you can hear it oh, through the frame it's crazy but yeah when you're like clicking through gears especially when you're shifting down the cassette into higher gears you hear it echo through the frame mm. and
0: even the slightest resonance of like a little brake rubber anything really like resonates yeah, in a way that I'm not used to. I
1: think it's a combo with a. I think it's a lightweight carbon frame with with voluminous carbon rims.
0: I think you're right. I think
1: that combination makes things. I sound was almost a wondering
0: if maybe Santa Cruz and some brands maybe put some kind of like foam or something in their stays to deaden it.
1: I think the I think the wheels are, play a big role in it, and also because you have carbon big volume carbon rims in there, and then. Um, I think I bet you the wall thickness on that trance is a is little thinner, thinner than a, a Santa Cruz
0: frame. And maybe stiffer too. I mean that thin stiff like it it's all resonant. Uh could be. Yeah, it it could be. I mean typically thicker
1: is going to be stiffer, but it's also the size of the tube diameter may, plays a big role in stiffness. Mm-hmm. Which is like aluminum softer than steel, but that's why they have to make aluminum frames with bigger tubes and steel has smaller tubes. And all but I, I do think a,
0: a less yielding material might resonate more. Mm. So
2: what do you think of the, the DVO BCN suspension? Thin and, and stiff.
0: The DVO suspension feels very supple. The, probably the biggest compliment I could give to it is that it was the classic experience. I was descending old shoots today, mm-hmm. and I almost stopped because I thought I had a rear flat. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. And like, you know, when you go down old chutes and there's that initial waterfall and there's like three little step downs that you can hit and get like, it can either be like pretty rough and like almost like three G outs, or you can kind of gap into the landings of Mm -hmm. each of them and make it really smooth and flow it. Mm -hmm. I feel like that bike handles that stuff as good as anything I've ridden. And... there's a few areas where I feel like that that bike really shines as far as, like, it's good at speed. It likes to go fast. Right on. And you have a medium? I am a medium. I wish the C-Tube was a little bit shorter. I really like the reach. Um, I have a really weird setup where my bars are about 60 millimeters above my saddle.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And the first ride i didn't make i didn't make that change i just wrote it how i got it and i really liked the lower bars cornering on downhills to the point where i almost cons- i caught myself kind of considering suffering with like s- shoulder tension and neck tension and hip tension ankle pain <laughs> it, you know it's interesting i think that your point, Ock, that it comes from the, or a lot right. of my need yeah. for taller bars comes from my ankle, but it doesn't. Cause, that's not where it. Co- that's yeah. not where it
2: manifests. It's because you compensate in other ways, right?
0: So yeah. I have like a, I have a, um, you know, a, a, a f- ankle flexion limitation from a, from a, um, bimalleolar fracture where I broke both my malleoluses off. On my, mm. yeah, you know, but basically broke bro- broke my shin bone and the little bone right where it goes into the ankle, and my foot was dislocated. Dangling. So I've I, ever since then I've had like a um, a dorsiflexion limitation. In other words, I, I I have a limitation flexing my ankle towards my shin, and that causes a limitation coming across the top of my pedal stroke where it, it puts pressure on my hip f- flexibility. Mm-hmm. But I actually feel it more in my, like, knee, hip, back, shoulder area when I'm riding than I do in my ankle, even though it's originating at the ankle. For sure. Um, But I actually really like those low bars descending out of the saddle. It's great for weighting the front wheel. It's great for um, transition from corner to corner. The bars are making a shorter trip from transition to corner to corner. Right. So... Yeah, I, long story short, to be comfortable on the bike pedaling around, I have to make some pretty big compromises for handling. And if it was, if it was like a downhill race bike, I'd run my bars a lot lower.
2: Right, that makes sense. And I think we made that comment recently when we were pedaling around. We rode together recently, and and uh, our bikes. We have very similar bikes, uh, and mine is set up more, I think, to where you would like it on the downhill.
0: I'm guessing your bars are literally fifty to seventy millimeters lower than mine.
2: Okay. I think they are. Yeah, yeah that that is one thing I notice on yours
0: because I think your bars are about level with your saddle, and my bars are about sixty millimeters above my
2: saddle. Right.
1: So how how did you come to this conclusion? Because I know you do um, you do a lot of the fitting. Did you have someone fit you, or did you kind of self fit?
0: Little of both. Yeah. Um I've gained a lot I uh, definitely have gotten a lot of help from the fitters at the path and in, in arriving here but it's also just like hey it, if I if I don't do this I start to get a stiff neck I start to it, riding just doesn't you know like Brian on our podcast talked about it on the last show about a good fit doesn't suck to doesn't feel uncomfortable to pedal all day right and um if I if I run the bars how I used to run them before my ankle injury, which is close close to level with the saddle,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which even for for the kind of rider I am, even that's a little high. Like a lot of people that I ride with, ride their bars lower than their saddle. Mm-hmm. Um, so even before the injury, I was running my bars a little high, and I think I don't yeah. have the most flexible hips in the world, and I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. So a big part of my personal belief in fit philosophy is that. Um, many people are fighting their own flexibility as they come across the top of the pedal stroke. In other words, if you pull your knee towards your belly button, it just feels good. Like there's not a, like a point where that sucks, Mm -hmm. but if you are making that kind of, um, if you're, if you're bending that way and like pushing your flexibility that way, every single pedal stroke, that's going to put a lot of pressure on your lower back and on your hamstrings and probably on your shoulders and neck as well.
1: So at what point, because I um, I think uh, like a trail bike setup and a cross-country bike setup, like you go to a cross-country race and look at the expert class and you're going to see a pretty common setup. And like, say, go to a enduro race in the sport class and you might see a pretty common setup. And those are going to be very, very different. And so at what point, would you say you're going to be like riding enough or work on your flexibility enough where you're going to start maybe, and I wouldn't say going towards a cross-country setup, but it is towards that direction versus the other direction that your bars are going to go lower and maybe farther out, and you're going to be leaned over a little bit more aggressively? So I
0: think this is really rider-dependent. And to illustrate, I would say that if I were to become serious about cross-country racing, unless I also increase my flexibility a lot, I don't think my fit would change much. Okay. But for an enduro race, I might actually run lower bars Mm -hmm. and suffer on the climbs to have that handling on the downhills because I'm limping up the climb anyway. The clock's off. Right. So that's kind of counterintuitive to what you were saying, even though I agree with your kind of general assumptions. Like like generally cross-country, the bars are farther away from you and lower down. So here's what I think as a fit theory. For cross country racing, you want your bars as low as is effective, as low as you can, as low and as you can get them without um, fighting your own flexibility across the top of your pedal stroke.
1: Okay, how do you assess that? How how do you determine or how? Let's say someone can't come into the shop
0: and they're and they're like, I wonder if I'm doing that. It can be difficult to assess without someone watching you, but some a really quick way to assess it is do you feel a bunch of if you feel a lot of pressure from the bars on your hands and if you feel tension in your neck and shoulders you could probably be more comfortable and that might be from you might achieve that by lowering your bars or raising them but i would say if if when you're riding you don't feel like you can have if you feel like you can put out big wattage and pedal hard and have a relaxed back neck and shoulders and light pressure on the bar on the grips you probably have a pretty good fit but if you don't feel that you probably could have a better fit so for me a lot of it is just neck tension shoulder tension back tension and hand pressure on the grips is this mostly
1: flat ground? Would you say this is like a flat ground effort? Because I've always thought like as you start to tilt the bike up, things, you know, so your gravity No, because changes.
0: I'm assessing it on my normal rides, which spend most of the time climbing. Okay. Um. However, flat ground is a, it's generally going to feel a little, that a lot of that, if, if what you need is to raise your bars, climbing, steep climbs, you're probably going to feel it less because your bars are raised from climbing a steep climb yeah exactly right um
1: and seat angle too like i mean that's one thing i question about my own setup is that if i ride around on flat ground i do feel like i kind of scoot down the front of the saddle because i go a little nose down but then once i tilt up any reasonable climb um all of a sudden it's like boom i'm into the i'm into the pocket of the saddle
0: and i'm setting i'm not slipping forward or back so i like to fit i like my bike to feel good at I like my bike to feel good if I slide if I slide fore and aft on the saddle. I want it to be able to feel good in a variety of terrain. Mm, so right. in the middle of the saddle, as a mountain biker in SoCal, I like it to feel good in a moderately steep but not crazy steep climb, like maybe climbing up Willow.
1: Right, I consider that pretty steep. Like right, fairly but steep. But for it's a dir- not.
0: It's not like trying to clean like that part climbing out of lizards. Right or something yeah, 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 yeah. or like that. You, you know what I'm saying? Like there's... So I th-
1: I think when I've looked at my Garmin and looked at the, the upgrade, the angle, I um, think a typical moderate climb in my mind is about 10%, which is about a five degree upslope, five degree tilt upslope. And so that's um, that's um what I found. Like as I've ridden around, I'm like, well, okay, I feel like this is kind of a normal climb. I look down, it's like, 10 10 ish percent
0: so to rewind a little <clears throat> bit you asked about how one might tell the mm-hmm. the as an observer you might tell by watching someone's knee tracking okay in other words if someone's knees track pretty straight up and down through their pedal stroke they probably aren't fighting their hip flexibility very much
1: okay a you big, mean like front to back?
0: Side to side. Or
1: side to side. Yeah, 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 But you're looking at them from the front. I'm
0: looking at them from the front. Yeah. So if at the top of the pedal stroke, the knees tend to go out. Oh, okay. That's a pretty big indication that you're fighting your own flexibility. And, is and that you'll a, see that on a ton of riders.
1: Is that bars too high or bars too low? That's,
0: if, if the knees are going out specifically at the top of the pedal stroke, there's a good chance that that's from bars too low.
1: Okay. There's as, other things that yeah. could be as well. So the bars too low thing. It's interesting because you guys talk about like bars being level and bars being above the saddle. As a taller rider, typically riding larges or extra large frames, because the frames don't, like head tube lengths and seat tube lengths don't move proportionally. Like between a medium and a large, a seat tube length is, say, an inch and a half, two inches longer. Head tubes don't go two inches longer. Um, it just doesn't. They don't go proportionally. So... At my size, which is a little bit taller than you guys, my bars have always been lower than my, like much lower. It's hard for me so to get my bars. Some short handle.
0: riders also benefit from bars below the saddle. I would say that um, anywhere from a couple inches below the saddle to a yeah. com- couple of inches above the saddle is inside the range of best for different riders.
1: I, I'm just saying, I think based on bike design and how they proportion them out, I find it as a taller rider really hard if you do want your bars higher. For it's, sure. It's difficult For to sure, get there. Low
0: riders who are very flexible and have great core strength have a hard time getting their bars low enough. And right. tall riders who have long legs and high seat posts who are less flexible have a hard time getting their bars high enough. Right. That's for sure. But yeah. I don't think that short riders need their bars below the saddle or above and tall riders vice versa. No, I just no, no. think that for the short rider that needs a lot of drop – that's a little more difficult, and for the tall rider that needs a lot, like a lot less drop or maybe some rise of bar above saddle, that's more difficult.
1: Yeah, I've always had a tough time getting my bars high enough. And what you're saying is um, that uh, downhill position where you know your bars are making a big trip from side to side, and you don't have a lot of direct tire pressure. I suffer from that a ton um, because I want my bars to be kind of highish and more comfortable, but then I my hands are essentially very far from. Where the well, tire's to your point, even
0: if you run your bars level with your saddle, they're probably um, higher than my bars above my saddle.
1: Correct. So yes. you
0: are making a bigger trip.
1: Yeah, yeah. But then it's a sacrifice, you know. Like I, uh, I've always felt like um, large and extra large bikes, you tend to be leaning over more.
0: Yeah, and I'm a big fan of big bikes. When bigger bikes have a lo- uh, tall head tube, for that reason. Yeah, but I also think. It's a delicate balance because you can always run some spacers in a higher-rise bar.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think but sometimes it, it, you run into the, um, like, uh, you know, a stock build may, may not have enough uh, spacer allowance in the fork cut or something. Uh, you, you can always get a stem in a bar, but still.
0: Right. But if the there, – there's a hard stop on getting them lower sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just not an option.
1: Yeah, or you get those weird, like, I think uh, taste makes a funky negative stem that goes super way below the head tube or something like that. Right. But you can start getting weird stuff to get both ways. You get weird things happening. Take off your dust. dust. <laughs> get an extra <laughs> millimeter. <laughs> um, but, yeah, one thing, I, I guess, side note, one thing I've noticed when I've kind of just run the numbers on paper, I'm sure you've seen this, is... uh. Um, hardtails have very low bottom brackets compared to full suspension bikes. And actually, mm-hmm. if you do like the true drop kind of thing, Seca. I think that's why so many 29ers run inverted stems, and in, especially in the cross-country race environment. Because if you run a stem in the positive direction, it's actually way above your feet as compared to a full suspension. Mm-hmm. Right. I think um, for like hardtails and versus full suspensions because your feet are higher. So then the bars get higher, but on the full suspend or the hardtail, tail, the, your feet are a lot lower a lot of times. And so the bars track down too.
0: Right. But then there's the sag that has to be factored in there as well.
1: Yeah. on full, yeah, true, true. But yeah, when I was trying to equalize a cross country hardtail and full suspension, I had like crazy negative drop stems on the hardtail. tail. Uh, but again, I was probably running my bars too low.
2: So, hardtails. I think we agreed before the show that we hate them. <laughs> <laughs> I know.
0: Well, here's my experience we, with hardtails. We want to like them. I romanticized <laughs> them. Yes. And I ha- that's how, where I started my yeah. riding yeah. was on hardtails. Sure. My first several bikes were hardtails. Yeah. Anybody
1: with enough experience to... It's uh, <laughs> is, is probably started there. Sorry.
0: And I, over the years, I have tried to go back to the hardtail a few different times. Yeah. And it always ends up that bike that I didn't ride that I end up selling like almost new. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm in the same boat cuz I got that Transition Vanquish and I there's nothing wrong with that bike, but it's I think it's just like, oh yeah, I don't really like riding a
0: hardtail. Well, it's also at there's all. nothing wrong with your ride fantasy if a hardtail fits your ride fantasy perfectly. Right. And we sell a lot of hardtails more than more than recently these days, and I don't think we're doing a disservice. Like, I think right. there's
2: a spot in the world for the hardtail. Well, yeah. And, and especially now, if you... Man, with the, the geometry of the Vanquish. Yeah. It's so sexy. It's
1: it's great. It's a great hardtail. Like, it's a... The geo is really good. The fit and finish of the frame is awesome. Like, I really like a lot of their design decisions as far as threaded bottom bracket and ISCG tabs and... You and know,
2: it's not that heavy. I mean, it's obviously I think not for, XC. It's not XC race light. But.
1: So when I talk to Brendan, who's on this show, and he works on a lot of cross-country race bikes, he's like, that thing is terribly heavy. <laughs> so yeah, it depends where mean, you're coming like, from. But it is a, it's like a half pound or three-quarter pound heavier than an equivalent <clears throat>
0: like full race bred bike sure. frame. So, well, I mean, and it's equipped to handle a hit that that bike wouldn't take for sure. Yeah, and the Geo's way better. Yeah. Well, so and that's part of what I mean. Yeah, it's like meant to be ridden in a way that would maybe break that 3 quarter pound lighter <laughs> bike.
2: Yes, man. Yeah. Which makes me want to rebuild mine up. But the yeah. reason that's the problem, for me, the yeah.
0: thing <laughs> that kills me about it, it's not like I like the comfort of full suspension and I like the shredability of full suspension and everything. Right. And that's not the deal breaker for me on the hardtail. What's the deal breaker for me is the timing. I yeah. feel like the timing between a even a short travel, like I feel like even like a hundred mil travel full suspension bike, the timing on like waiting and unweighting the rear wheel, yeah, is more similar to any other full suspension bike where mm. the timing and on un- unweighting and waiting a rear wheel on the hardtail is different. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree. Yeah.
1: Well, let, let me share one thing. So I, I i went on on the road and went on vacation, little well, mountain bike vacation, over uh, Thanksgiving break. And as I was driving out, I had a lot of time to think. I was like, you know, what would be really cool. And i've I've talked to some friends about this before. Is this is the this is where a hardtail kind of fits some version of a ride fantasy. <laughs> I'm sure the reality of it would not be that great. But let's say you're going on a vacation and it's a multi outdoor ed- ed- vacation. It's not a bike focus vacation but here's here was my brain build and uh, i'll just run through it really quick is a aggressive hardtail with a 27.5 rear wheel 29 front wheel um to get a little bit of cushion the back because it's a hardtail um dropper post but the most reliable one i can think of so maybe even a gravity drop you
0: for a sec cushion the back with 27.5 you mean it's like a plus in the back
1: yeah, plus. So or 27, I'm sorry, 275 plus in the back. Yeah. Twenty nine. I thought press. that's what you might meant. I just yeah, wanted to yeah, clarify. Yeah. Thicker tire in the back with that I could run lower mm. pressure and get some more give. Um coil over fork or a fork with a coil so that on my chair. Tri- Wait, could we put a coil on the outside of the lowers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Coil over. a coil fork so that I coil under. Yeah. So I don't have to pack a shock pump and don't have to worry about that.
0: Um, you better, better make- not say tubes because I'm going to push back if you say tubes we'll get there
1: <laughs> <laughs> Meca- mechanical disc brakes <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so mad. Uh, flat pedals so that I don't have to I can bring hiking shoes or yeah. whatever shoes we've talked about this before yep. Um, the multi-purpose 510 free riders 510 yep. free riders good for hiking or whatever um, single speed geared relatively low because I'm on vacation. I don't care about going fast. Um, and I also don't care about walking cause I have flat pedals and sta- uh, slime filled tubes. Ugh, because, so I, mad. because when I'm on the road, I don't have to worry about packing sealant or reseating a tire in the field. But still have puncture resistance for like desert riding and stuff like that. So that, but this is strictly for, this is like the road trip bike that is, this is the least maintenance
0: possible needing bike I could possibly think of. I feel like you're pretending you're going to become someone you're not on your road trip. You're absolutely right. 100%
1: 100% correct this is a very theor- and this I'm is sure like someone else on a road trip <laughs> well this, this is like this, this is a
2: hypothetical person this can we construct a- this person yeah it's a, it,
0: they shop at REI a lot <laughs> <laughs> um, they, and not just because it's close to total wine in the Tustin Market <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah.
1: they, they might be going on this road trip in a VW Westie um, lots of flannel Long, unkempt hair, and really likes IPAs.
0: I feel like we're getting a lot of mixed signals here. (laughs) (laughs) I I was just thinking of... I was just picturing Jesse, and it's like, Jesse's not going to ride that bike. (laughs) He would shred it if he did, but... He would go fast on it if that was the bike he had.
1: Right. Well, I think I uh, talked to a friend once. This This is a bike that would go good with an overlander. Like, if you're on an overland trip, but you're also bringing a bike.
0: Like, maybe you're going to
1: stop at Burning Man. Uh, I was thinking more <laughs> like you're going to go off-roading in a place that also has mountain bike trails. You're like, oh, it'd be nice to yeah. have a mountain bike. That was my attempt at a backhanded compliment. Yeah. <laughs> um But also, it was like, whenever I pack go on a trip, I'm like, oh, well, I... I should probably pack a derailleur hanger because there may not be a shop that has a transition derailleur hanger. But I'm like, ah, oh, well, if it's single speed, I wouldn't have to worry about that. And actually, um, like uh, on the trip, my girlfriend's bike, the derailleur hanger slightly bent. And mm. I was like, oh, I didn't bring my... It's hard to do it without the right tool to straighten it out. And I was like, but if it's a single speed, you wouldn't, wouldn't have, have to, to, do to do that. About. Wouldn't have to worry about it. Um, tubeless. Actually, my friend got a flat and we took the tube off and the the tire was dry, right? Mm, yeah. I'm like, oh, well, if you had slime tubes, they don't dry out. You wouldn't worry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, disc, disc brakes are anything hydraulic. You know, you always got to worry about it. Oh, and then uh, I had to adjust the negative air pressure on my mm. bike on the ride. And I
0: pack a shock pump. But if you had a coil fork, you're yeah, not you worry about, about it. it. We're not have to worry so about I'm it. So I'm with you on the coil fork. I'm with you on the plus rear tire. I don't like the combination of single speed and flats unless it's dirt jumping. I feel like single speed is the one time I for sure want clipless. Okay. Um, But then with a good multi-purpose shoe. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, the person who can't put a tube or a plug in a regular tubeless tire, they should do what you're saying maybe. But what if you were road (laughs) tripping
1: in an arid environment for two months? Then you would have to maybe think about
0: refreshing the sealant and re, and you have might have to go to a shop and use a. From my personal value system, I would rather refill that sealant tube oh, six weeks in than carry around that slime than like pedal around that slime tube. Okay, fair enough. But I do think that there is a person where that slime tube is the right suggestion, and that same person probably shouldn't get cable breaks because any benefit that they might get from them, they're not going to fix them anyway. Like, if they Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, like they should get hydraulic brakes because they're less likely to have to work on them if they're the person who can't put sealant in their tires. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's just what I'm thinking. Maybe I'm wrong, and there's probably an exception to every rule, right? Fair enough, But but I would say the person who is intimidated by putting some more sealant in their tires six weeks into their rad arid adventure <laughs> <laughs> arid climate <laughs> probably would be better off just like hoping for the best with their hydraulic brakes than like thinking like I could fix these cable brakes oh yeah well okay mm.
1: well I, I feel like if I if I was on a road trip and I had hydraulic brakes I'd pack a bleed kit and fluid but if I was on a road trip with
0: um, cable brakes I'd just have a spare cable somewhere mm-hmm. but if I was on a road trip with hydraulic brakes, I brakes I would generally plan on not working on them where if I was yeah. on a road trip with cable brakes, I would generally plan on working on them. Mm, ah, interesting,
1: interesting. Okay, fair enough.
0: Yeah, both. Especially work- for six weeks, like six weeks in, I'm thinking I need a new cable and housing for my cable brakes, probably. Ah, interesting.
1: Well, but no, arid. We're talking arid. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's
0: dust, right? True. And it may, hopefully, I have end to end housing. Yeah,
1: it absolutely this end to end. End-to-end housing and uh, compressionless. The Jaguar compressionless. Ooh. But Ooh. if
0: I'm the guy that needs those cable brakes, I probably wouldn't make that choice. <laughs> well, anyway, that's this like a nuanced decision. Yes. where like that person could probably bleed hydraulic brakes.
1: <laughs> Step up, son. Don't don't live below no, your per- I, per- per- potential. You can bleed a brake. <laughs> I
0: think cable brakes are pretty cool in their place. It, but I I think it's a special special person who wants to work on them and wants low tech like it's like right. Mm. Well, the, it's in the field serviceability. The person who it's is on the trail serviceability. Right. But the person who can do that on the trail service can also change some ceiling. So, so I've <laughs> I've talked about this uh cable disc brake infatuation. So like you and of- me alone in Mexico for like six months, let's take cable brakes. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> with no no supplies. Like, right. yeah, we'll fix those cable brakes. We'll keep them running. Yeah. It, random person who's not, who's not going to fix anything that goes wrong and just has to hope for the best, I'm going to send them out with hydraulic brakes.
1: Yes, I- agreed there. Yes. But this is my... This is my crazy ride fantasy of a bike that I can almost completely service on the trail, if if need be. Mm. Or in the field. On the trail, in the field, slash,
0: it's my theoretical bike that nothing yep. can go wrong. So to that, I, right. And on that bike, I'm thinking tubeless tires. And then bring a tube. Maybe bring a slime tube. Yes. Definitely pack a slime tube. Ooh, yeah. Yeah,
1: the slime tubes, I'm a big fan of the slime tube spare when
0: weight is not a big concern. Or maybe do like procore or Ooh. or what are the what's that other one that you use your feet to put on? Uh, uh
1: the full foamy one or Victoria has a new one now too. Uh kushcore. Kushcore. I mean, oh yeah. You're yeah. supposed
0: to, apparently you're supposed to use your toes. Oh jeez. <laughs> what? The, <laughs> it's in the manual? I don't know. No, you put it on... <laughs> there's a few
2: options (laughs) there are ways dude
0: it's definitely a learning curve
1: um but we agree on the hardtail because you don't have to worry about pivots bearings Mm. rear shock
0: blah 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 blah. we could always go non-pneumatic tires if we want to be real (laughs) serious about this they don't make it a plus size Ah. (laughs) so
1: anyway that's my uh that was my theoretical road trip fantasy
0: bike um super easy to service. Yeah. When was the last time you had a full hydraulic failure on a brake? Um, full hydraulic failure.
1: Um, never. Really never.
0: It's happened to me? It has oh, not. Yeah, it has not happened to me the guide thing. Since
2: hmm, apart it, from the guide thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, minus the guide thing. When that happened to me, it wasn't a full failure, although it was a pretty serious failure. It was definitely a drawback to the riding experience but
1: well i think let's put it this way: When was the last time you had a hydraulic disc brake issue of any kind that could go for say ten more rides without needing attention or couldn't could yeah well, like meaning like I think if a caliper leaks and right. contaminates a pad, that really sours the experience yeah. If your lever sticks but then comes back, okay, well, I've got 10 more rides on this road trip. Um, it's not working. It's not working right. You know, so I think the, the – and this kind of actually goes to some of the earlier stuff I talked about. Is kind of what I make decisions for my race bike that I travel with versus um, a bike that I ride day to day that I get back to my fully right. well-stocked equipped garage that's 20 minutes down
2: the road from the bike shop. Your dream bike, your your dream travel bike, probably looks closer to the race bike.
1: It uh, yeah from it a does. maintenance perspective. But my the race bike, I um,
2: I'd like to see you racing on the hardtail with flats. <laughs> <laughs> right. <27. laughs>
1: so that's more my road trip adventure bike versus yeah. the race bike is um, at the truck serviceable with packing a pretty notable. Toolkit, including yeah. a bleed kit. Um, I think I had this conversation with a friend recently. Is yeah. like when I go to a race, I often like to have a spare dropper post, a spare rear shock, a spare derailleur hanger. Or at least
2: a spare cartridge for the dropper post. At least a
1: spare cartridge, yeah. Um, spare brake pads, bleed kit, maybe even a spare brake, um, spare derailleur, chain, cable, all that kind of stuff, too. So, um, anyway, I think it's the. Uh, what could possibly go wrong in the field? And my biggest fear is being on the road and being forced into a bike shop and hoping they have
0: parts for what I have. Right. This goes to what I was thinking about what you're saying, which is that to me it's less of what can I fix at my truck versus on the trail, and more a question of wherever I'm going, can I get parts?
1: Yeah. Maybe that's a bigger that's a bigger question. That that maybe that's a, a more to the point. And Greg, I mean. The road trip I went on over Thanksgiving is I went to Moab. There's plenty of very competent bike shops in, in Moab, and I bet if I even dug around, I'd probably find a transition derailleur hanger. But, and you could probably buy a line and some fluid and banjos. and Right, for like Shimano brakes. But say, for example, traveling with like TRP brakes or Magura brakes. Like You'd probably not. find parts for SRAM or Shimano brakes.
0: So that's one of the reasons I tend to strict stick to stram and shimano and fox and rock shocks and
1: right right yeah go with the mainstream brands better chance of getting fixed on the road but that's also a reason why i really like wheels with standard hubs with j-bend spokes uh, you break spokes like you know you may not have i9 spokes or crank brothers spokes or sometimes not even straight well, straight pull are more common but even still hmm. having all the lengths of straight pole spokes at a bike shop. Yeah, no, you're
0: 100% right. I th- I think yeah. even shops that have a lot of spokes have more opposite, more lengths of J-bend than straight pole.
1: Yeah. Yeah, cuz they, you know, they're fixing every other every bike below $2000
0: with J-bend spokes versus um That every, being said, if you're going to an area with a decent amount of good shops, someone's got a spoke cutter. Uh Like in Moab, I bet you someone's got a spoke cutter. Do you guys have a spoke cutter? Yes, like a the big crank one. We have the Hosan, which is the cheaper, like one at a timer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like bail you out, get you going, not like real quick, cut you thirty-two spokes for your wheel build.
1: Oh right, right. I once. I would
0: love to get the WheelSmith spoke. Is that
1: WheelSmith or no? That's someone else makes that thing. Is that that's not WheelSmith? The big crank one.
0: I think it's Will Smith. Maybe I'm wrong.
1: I thought it was a spe- like a specialty.
0: Anyway, it's funny. I've worked at... Maybe I, it's Phil Wood, actually. Phil Wood. Phil that's Wood. it. It's a Phil Wood. It's a Phil Wood. That's on, yeah, you're right. It's Phil Wood, and that is on my list of things I would like. But that's, that's a time saver compared to what we have.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, so the experience I have with doing it, I've cut thousands of spokes on it, is when I was in high school and college, I worked at Velomax Wheels, and cutting spokes on the fill wood cutter was production.
0: Yeah, it, cuts, you know, it like, cuts
1: them and rolls the threads in one in one move. Right, but it does take a lot of arm English to learn that thing. Like if you don't do it with the proper authority and smoothness, and compensate for the tough points, you jam it. And I think that's about a three thousand dollar tool. It is, and the, and you can easily misalign the dies mm. because they're rolling the thread and those things. If you jam it. You can't back it out. You have to like. It, there's it a little bit of like, oh shit, using this thing. Uh. <laughs> like it's it's kind of scary. But it, when you get it, you like come swinging in. It cuts a spoke, and you like crank your arm through this like two foot rotation, <laughs> like with a lot of force, and it goes bam, and it pops out a spoke. Big but it, swinging spoke cutters it's pretty (laughs) rad it's probably one of the most intimidating rad precision pieces of
0: equipment i've ever used in bike land it's definitely one of those things i've always got my eye out for like there's a shop that wants to get rid of theirs or or some person that bought one i
1: know patrick at laguna cyclery has one that's rarely used
0: yeah i I, keep my i'll keep my eye on that situation (laughs) shout out to patrick
1: yep I know that I because I worked. I filled in at that shop for like a two weeks, and there is one back there, and I think I was the only one that kind of knew how to use it.
0: Maybe at the time, I I bet Patrick like, can use it. Maybe at one point, but maybe maybe only a few of his dreads still know how. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice, yeah, that's a little bit of the pot calling the old kettle black. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, come hang out.
1: Um, all right, we're an hour in. Do we want to? spend 10 minutes on vans or save that for another show or do listener questions
0: or I love my van. I love listener questions.
1: All right. So here I, as I was saying, I went on a road trip to, to Moab over Thanksgiving. I am seeing a lot of really rad sprinter vans everywhere. Like, I mean, these are like the $140,000 build out sprinter four by fours and I'm not seeing few of them, like a dozen of Pop-top. them. pop top, uh, pop with, tops, or high, with or without, solar, high, solar uh, non-white, like, you know, you're baller when you got a not white sprinter. Mm. Dang it. They're like yeah. sand color and like gray. And they've yeah. got the Nerf bars and the lights and the light bars and the Baja racks and God knows what they look like inside. It's probably amazing.
0: I kind of like the white though. It's Fair unassuming enough. you pull up someone you, you like pull over on a side street and sleep in it. Someone might think you're just a plumber, like getting right. ready for a job. Right. Well, all I can say is I think
1: in the super build out high expensive land, they seem to be shifting towards the earth tones. Yeah. Bob blah knows what to do. <laughs> 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 yeah, and the, and their four the by fours. Yep. And, uh, But anyway, they're pretty rad, so that got me thinking about vans. I was starting to do the research and starting to get my learn on
0: about van totally you should go land. down to go down to um the local mercedes benz dealership mm-hmm. and i and put $500 down on a four wheel drive sprinter and then build it out all sick <laughs> <laughs> it'll be here in like 8 months
1: <laughs> so i was i i was looking around craigslist and there's a lot of built out ones ranging from 100 to $140,000 <clears> typically uh pre I think you
0: have to get like a credit check to go see them. Like, basically, they're like. <laughs> to put a reality check on that, um, yeah. Kelly, the ex Kona rep, he bought a four wheel drive Sprinter brand new, put yeah. a pop top on it, put solar on it, put a fridge in it, elect- nice electrical pop top. Mm-hmm. I think he ended up paying somewhere in the neighborhood of like sixty, seventy thousand $70,000 for the base vehicle. Right for something that I would be very happy with, much nicer than what I have. Obviously not like Lopes's sportsmobile, right? But pretty sweet. Like, and when you see it come into the parking lot, you're like, "Oh, dang! Like that's a four wheel drive sprinter with a pop top." Right. So
1: wait, you're saying you think he has sixty grand in the whole thing? With Maybe the... sixty, seventy. So I thought, how much is a four wheel drive base sprinter? Are they fifty. I thought they were fifty think... grand.
0: I think he paid in the 40s.
1: Okay. Brand for new a Shell. Yeah, mm. a cargo four-wheel drive sprinter. And then I
0: think he paid about 10 for the pop top.
1: Okay. That sounds low from what I'd heard depending where you 10, get
0: it. 10. to 20 I think is the range. Yeah. I mean, he's connected and everything. Right. But isn't everybody? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then the rest is kind of what you make of it, but I don't think you put like more than another right. ten into it.
1: Well, it seems like the standard build for these things is they um you get a fridge, you get some kind of sink assembly, a bed assembly, an electrical system. But the one thing it seems like the conversion vans or the Sprinter vans, let's call them the Stealth vans, you know, they don't look like RVs. Is they typically don't have uh, bathrooms or showers. Right. They they don't.
0: Sometimes they do. Yeah. But yeah. Usually they, the ones that are really stealth don't.
1: Right. And if they have a shower system, it's like an outdoor shower system, so they don't have a water. Or they don't
0: have back seats.
1: Uh. Yeah.
0: Right. But yeah,
1: most of so them, that was what I was running areas. into.
0: Is I wanted, I wanted a few things I couldn't have altogether. I wanted a shower and a bathroom, and beds and a and a kitchen and back seats, and I wanted it to be thirty grand. So <laughs> right. I could pretty much pick one. Right, right.
1: Yeah, it, or I like your yeah. back seats. <laughs> mm. Or you're dropping 130 grand on a really nice, fully converted RV. Essentially,
0: but, but I'll tell you what: with our like makeshift beds in the back and back seats and a used Sprinter. I think I've slept in it like a hundred times. My wife and kids have slept in it a bunch. We we can sleep at at a truck stop and wake up with like my wife and kids with a smile on their face and my dog. And it's pretty sweet. Yeah. And it's not extravagant and we didn't spend like RV money on it. But it's my daily driver and I'm happy with it. And I can drive around with two bikes in the back all the time or a motorcycle. I can do dump runs. Right. Like. And so okay, so clarify which one you have wheelbase size. I have the long wheelbase, tall roof, four cylinder, twenty fourteen. Um it has paneling and a and a bed that I take in and out. And then so uh, there's a it's a queen size bed on a platform with um basically angle like um ninety degree bend steel rails that the bed sits on. Right. So I can unbolt those in like 10 minutes and take the bed out and turn it into a hauler.
1: Right. Because it's high enough to put a bike underneath the bed but not a motorcycle.
0: Right. So I have to take the bed out to put motorcycles in or to like really haul stuff. So like right now, the bed's out and you can walk around back there and, and I can haul anything. And I usually have a bike or two in there and sometimes a motorcycle or a surfboard. And then other times... And then sometimes too, it's like Bring a bunch of bikes from the Tustin shop to the Live Oak shop or back right. either way.
1: How do you like – so one of the things that I was drawn to was in that first-gen Sprinter, they had a really short wheelbase one that doesn't take up much more length than maybe a standard-length Toyota Tacoma. Um, and so on a quote-unquote daily driver getting into parking spots, I felt like that would that would be really handy. Um, you have the longest one, which is the one I'd be most scared of to drive around and park and things like that. How's your experience been with that?
0: Mostly it's not bad. I I mostly back into parking spots and you have a backup camera. Yep. Okay. Backup cameras really helpful for that. I think if you're ready to commit to backing up into most of your parking spots, the full-length one is worth it. Even just even if you don't need the extra space most of the time. Okay. Because the gas mileage is, or the, you know, the diesel mileage is about the same.
1: Right. Yeah, the same. They just have more.
0: Driving until you park is about the same. Okay. Hmm. Parking is a little different. Right. But it's, it's very rare that I feel like, oh, I could park a, I could park here if I didn't have such a big vehicle. It's not yeah. that there is there is that moment where like this would be a lot easier with a smaller vehicle sometimes. Right. But at this I think more often it's like, Oh, it's great that I can fit everything in here. Right. And the again, the fact that the mileage is the same and driving around is pretty much the same till you park. Right. Those are the big factors for me. Yeah, And I kind of take pride in like, oh, I can park this giant thing anywhere. And people look at me like, what the heck? And I'm like, that's right. (laughs) Nice. And, yeah, so,
1: I mean, one of the things when I was shopping around is it looks like these Sprinter vans are really, they do hold their value and sometimes maybe artificially so where you're seeing ones with like 200,000 miles on them and still commanding $15,000.
0: Right, I really feel like there's a sweet spot with a Sprinter purchase where it's between maybe f- thirty-five and a hundred thousand miles. Right, where there's the there's the like automatic concession of like this has obviously got to be way lower than a new one. Right, and it's maybe almost as safe as an investment as a new like forty thousand miles on a Sprinter is barely broken in.
1: So, yeah, that's the thing is it's the diesel motor and everybody's like, oh, you can put half a million miles on those. I was like, yeah, but there's still ball joints and wheel bearings and, you know, you know, uh, rack and pinion systems and coolant systems and seals that are drying out. And like, yes, diesel motors last a long time, but there's the rest of the vehicle
0: that has a service life as well. And when that all goes, that's a lot of money. I think for the most part, they're built to be like commercial delivery vehicles and stuff. And they're built to take a lot of miles and a lot of abuse. Right. My general impression is that it's somewhere around 200,000 miles where you start to get a lot of like wheel bearing type stuff. Right. Before that on the newer ones, there's some risk with the deaf fluid delivery systems. Mm. So there's, you know, def pump, this and that stuff. And that stuff can be thousands here, thousands there, real quick. Right.
1: And those are the older ones, the first gen ones don't have that def system. Right. And they're all, and there's other options like the Ford Transit and the the ProMaster and all that, but those are all gas that get, I mean, we're talking close to half the mileage
0: of of the diesel Sprinters. I think the. I think some of them get more like seventy to eighty percent the mileage, depending on the one. Okay. But a lot of those are front wheel drive, which is arguably better, but arguably worse. Right. Definitely better in snow and rain. Yeah. Well, and
1: I, I guess the the old trusty comparison is like the Ford Econoline series. I mean, those vans are everywhere. Um, but I think some of those have get. Like eleven miles to the gallon right. with a gas. But version. I think the
0: new Ford that looks like a sprinter with the, the turbo boost, I think those get eighteen, twenty nineteen miles to the gallon or okay. something. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's that's the Ford Transit. <laughs> right. But you're not gonna
0: find those used for four grand. No, but they are less than a sprinter and they have way lower cost of like maintenance than a sprinter. Right. And Ford dealers are cost everywhere. of parts. Cost. Yeah. Hmm. But I do think too, if you're gonna go to the dealership you're, it, if you have a good independent mechanic that is happy working on your Sprinter, that's a big thing. Right. Maybe check into that. Either first. way, if you're going to the dealership, you're paying a premium, but you will pay a lot less of a premium with the Ford.
1: Yeah. Well, in my research, I did reach out to Hospro's Automotive and mm-hmm. San Dimas and be like, you guys comfortable with Sprinters? He's like, yep. I was like, okay, this is
0: realistic then. <laughs> but they will also tell you that even, even with them, the cost of repairs is a little higher than a Ford.
1: Yeah, parts, parts, I
0: mean, yeah, they still have to get their parts. To me, it's worth it for the, the Sprinter drive, my, I would say the Sprinter vans drive better than, like, the steering is really tight. Right. And they drive well, even compared to cars sometimes, where a lot of the other vans kind of more drive like a van. Right. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Well, it's de- it's. I can tell you that it's definitely a rabbit hole, and when you start getting into the camper van conversions and build outs, there are really detailed blogs out
0: there that are pretty amazing to watch. All the decisions that they made, and, super fun too. So, yeah, it's, I mean, even just like what material you're going to use for your insulation. I'm still str- I haven't insulated mine yet. I'm still struggling with that decision.
1: Right. And well, that's kind
0: of a once you make
1: that decision, it's like kind of buried, and then you build on top of that. So that's and like then, like, what's your
0: moisture barrier, <laughs>
1: and yeah, it's it's there's a lot of lot of details to it, but uh, yeah, I'm just like perusing, getting getting my feel feel for the space and the prices and stuff like that. So, so
2: what's your timeline? <laughs> eh, I don't know. It's, eh.
0: I've, I'm not sure yet. I would. My suggestion is possibly consider getting a bigger one than you think okay not because you need it but because there may be less penalty than you think oh i see what you're saying and interesting and and there's like why not
1: right yeah yeah so here is another theory i had and i wonder what what you guys think of this is my thought is if you can somehow get we're talking about the cargo vans because there's passenger vans and cargo vans. The cargo vans are often a better starting point for conversions. They have less windows. um, So you're not, when you're bolting things in, you're not like trying not to bolt into a window or something like that. And then also the cargo vans, you can buy windows to install them uh, in exact locations that you want. Um, So, okay, cargo vans. is In theory, they come out of fleets let's say that cargo van came out of a fleet of a rather large company, Um, my guess is that while they may be driver abused, in other words, like the seats may be torn, they might be kind of scratched up and maybe dented a little, mechanically, they probably never missed an oil change and never had deferred maintenance. In other words, when those fleets go out for maintenance and someone's like, hey, this one has a leaky diff seal, it's not an independent owner going like, oh, well, I don't want to pay for that. It's just like... It just goes on the invoice and whatever company is maintaining them, you know, it just goes on the list and they're doing dozens of them and they have less deferred maintenance if it comes out of a fleet of a big
0: company. Or you could do what I did and buy one from a fireman. <laughs> There's that. I bet, I mean, like, I know my previous owner did all the maintenance and babied it more than probably I do.
1: Right. But what you would, what I would hate to get is like a retired work truck from like a locksmith company that had three vans that was trying to make ends meet and deferring maintenance versus if you got a retired FedEx, uh,
0: sprinter that has never missed an oil change, (laughs) you know, like I do think those miles might get a little discount on that retired FedEx. uh, Oh, wait, how do you mean? Like if it's been well maintained and driven a lot, Every day, two hundred thousand miles might not mean as bad oh, of ye- a thing. Exactly what I'm. Yeah, I told. That's
1: exactly what I'm getting at. Is that um, like when they had ball joint issues, that thing got
0: repaired, and no one blinked at the uh, repair bill. I tend to think you have to look at the specific, like seller, though, because right, you're gonna you're gonna see businesses that defer maintenance, you're going to see individuals that defer maintenance, you're going to see businesses that don't, individuals that don't. Right.
1: And my guess is a company like FedEx would be less likely to defer maintenance on their fleet versus a a small locksmith company that has three vans or something.
0: Most likely, yeah. That's
2: that's my guess.
1: Anyway, just a theory.
2: The world on time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Those vans can't break down. They can't break down. Exactly. (laughs) No, but Exactly, okay, and to that point, I have no idea where you acquired or learned the pedigree of a van or figure out which fleet you're buying them from or
0: well you can hopefully you can see some service records. yeah, I think yeah. to me that's a big deal, like regard like whether it's a private seller or a business, like if I can see that the service was done as recommended, right, that's a pretty big deal. yeah Good but point, also, you can usually kind of tell mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah,
1: I I think buying a used vehicle in any environment is always pretty risky. Daunting Sca- yeah. can be a little Especially scary.
0: Especially if you're not good at assessing certain things. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. I mean, if you can see, for example, that it's... If you can see that, like everything is really clean and none of the seals are kind of cracked or weird and everything just seems like new. Yeah. Like, I don't know.
1: Yep. Like I bought my Honda element and it was, it's a little bit more beat up than I think I had wish it had been. Um, but it was low mileage, but maybe not as well maintained through those low miles. So, you know, I'm not super happy with the decision of the vehicle that I bought. I mean, I've had it long enough where I've worked through the issues that were there have come up and have been fixed, but it's still like
2: more issues than you had hoped for.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it was it was an L.A. vehicle, so like the bumper's been bumped a lot and stuff mm. like that. So,
0: like yeah. L.A. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like parallel parking by braille. <laughs> 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 so, um, but anyway,
0: fan world. Awesome. I will say a vehicle that you can keep a bunch of your stuff in. I have this. Okay. So here's my big like thought on vans, like my, my 10,000 foot view of vans in America. You basically own as much space as you can park a vehicle in. (laughs) Nice. Okay. So like there's a thing in America called public parking and it's everywhere. Right. And there's no, like, you pay more if your vehicle's twice as long. Okay. So, in a way, the bigger your vehicle is, the more real estate of America you own. <laughs> <laughs> At any given point. <laughs> Always. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think this is a real thing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice. Maybe talk to a parking legal expert. <laughs>
0: I mean, just thinking of in terms of, like, the street in front of your house, like, you could park a Honda Civic there, or you could park a full-size Sprinter van there, and the cost for you is the same. Like, yes, it adds to road maintenance and everything, and your community is going to have to pay for that with taxes, but that's not really your problem. (laughs) 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 That's our problem. Right. It's our problem. (laughs) The royal hour. And you could fit two bikes and a kayak and a surfboard and a motorcycle in there, and... If you don't have any windows, no one would even know.
1: Yes. No another pro for the cargo van versus the passenger. Yep. Yeah. This is a good awesome. point. <laughs> Making a lot of sense over there.
0: Are we gonna do listener questions today? Uh do you wanna do
1: like one or two and call it? Sorry, listeners. We're we're tired.
0: Yeah, let's get
2: to it. We've been riding. Mm-hmm. Riding with people who wear dickies
1: <laughs> much more economically friendly <laughs> the other shorts that I like are the mission workshop shorts which retail for 165 with no liner
2: <laughs> perfect for at the least they're Shammies, not trying to sell you anything Shammies. you don't need <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Stop wearing those diapers. You don't need it. I do.
0: Um, so we, okay, so Brad. Brad says, a few epico- episodes back, you mentioned a chain tool that you felt was accurate. What is the make and part number of it? I'd like a chain tool, but the reviews on them are always misleading. Thanks, and keep up the great work. Always enjoy listening to your shows. So I think he's talking about the chain... Measure The chain wear? Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Yeah, Brandon was talking about it, and it was the Shimano or the Pedro's. We
0: used the Pedro's in the shop.
1: I bought the Pedro's
0: after Brandon <laughs> was here
2: on the so show. Did, so did I.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we were talking about the Pedro's chain wear indicator. It has three prongs instead of the like old school two prongs, which allows it to measure more accurately.
2: Right. So, good question. Thanks for asking. I was talking to Brandon, and he was mentioning that these days, eleven or twelve speed, he actually sees more, almost more replacement of chains because of like damage to the chain, not wear. Oh, interesting. So, so yeah, we're talking about like twisted
0: links. Mm-hmm. Um, like a a spot where the chain got smashed in and, like, the pin got smashed and the link doesn't move properly anymore. That kind of thing. And I agree. um, 12-speed chains don't seem to stretch the way 11... uh, to the same kind of... um, especially the nicer ones don't seem to stretch the same amount as, like, certainly not as much as, like, 9, 10-speed chains. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... We're seeing mostly chain ring wear and chain damage and sometimes chain wear. Mm-hmm. Like if it's, you know, 500, 1,000 miles or more.
1: Makes sense. Really? A lot more people tracking mileage these days with Strava. A lot of people can tell you how many miles they got out of a chain or a cassette or things. I've I've noticed that, like, I've never done that. Hmm. And I'm not a consistent Strava user. And, um, but I've noticed a lot of friends like, oh yeah, I've got like 1400 miles on this drive train. I was like, how do you know that? <laughs> but it, a lot of people record every single ride on Strava and then they get their totals. Like it,
2: you know, I've tried that for a little bits at a time. Yeah. I just feel silly turning it on in the morning when I start pedaling to work.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's like, I, I don't know. I'd much rather use a chain checker than be like, oh, well, uh, I'm up to my 900-mile mark. <laughs> like,
0: well, to your point, mileage is one indicator, but depending on Type of mileage, conditions oh, yeah. and chain lube. So chain lube, con, um, dirt conditions, dust conditions, water conditions. Right. Um, amount of torque e- you're putting on the... Amount of torque. Um, chain line, like so are you always in a gear where the chains are relatively straight from the rear cogs to the front. No. These are all in, all factors in wear.
1: I've got a funky thing with my Shimano cassette going on right now that my, so where does it go like gear like it's 11 tooth and maybe 12 or 13 is the next step up. Mm-hmm. That gear skips. That's the only one. And I think it's skipping truly like skipping teeth. Say again which one? It's this. so let's say
2: the second hut tallest gear.
1: Yeah, call it gear number 10 like 10th gear. You're number 10
2: on 11 speed. Hmm.
1: Yeah, and so that's the only one that skips. And it's if I go to power down on it consistently, it'll pop, and like like it's climbing a tooth, like fully slipping up and over, but it's only that cog. Um, I recently replaced the chain, but not with a... Like I played musical chains, basically. Like I damaged this chain on a rock, and I was like, I should get rid of that. And I So I threw that one out and then put another chain... on from another bike that had less time on it mm-hmm. and so i figured it would be an imbe- and then this problem popped up but i've never had um i've had this problem in the climbing gear on cassettes before like in the gear one yep where that one pops but none of the others pop but that one kind of like crawls up the teeth but this i've never had this problem before it's super weird and so yeah i'm like i guess the cassettes toast the chains i'm not sure what do you toast. think
0: you spend a lot of time in that gear
1: I don't think so um i i I don't know, I don't think I spend a lot of time I'm sure I spend most of my time in the climbing gear, like hours
2: on the Shimano um you might be able to replace that particular
1: yeah yeah i I probably could order like just that cog ten dollars, yeah, I wonder if it's a Warren cog.
2: It, it sounds like it. Maybe <clears throat> it
0: is.
1: Yeah. It's also, I'm running non-boost cranks on a boost bike. And so there's a little bit more of a chain line than they probably intended for those low gears. And oh, But well, it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't an issue before. What cranks are they? Shimano non-boost cranks. Oh, okay. On a boost bike.
0: Shimano's the only brand I know of where the cranks are boost or non-boost. Yeah. In other words, most brands, it's the chain ring.
1: Yeah, this one's the the the, the crank. But... Like, when you cite down The it.
0: Japanese are really, you know, they can figure out how to make it so that the crank should be boosted or boosted. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a lot of It takes a lot of planning. They have yeah. to, like, look, like, five to ten years ahead to make that happen. <laughs> right. Um, and they have to have a lot of strategic thinking right, <laughs> in order to make sure. Synergy? The, yeah. Um, well, you know, um, integra- integrated planning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. There's a lot of acronyms that probably go into making sure. That's the truth. Right. Some KPIs and everything probably
2: involved.
0: <laughs> nice. But yeah, they can do it. Yeah. They have the engineering um, horsepower <laughs> to make sure right. that stuff is either compatible or not compatible and that you couldn't like Designed. put a different chain ring on it and make
2: it compatible. Design <laughs> incompatibility.
1: Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, my... Beloved Shimano cassette.
2: That's it's Philip Philip K. Dick's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Man in the high tower.
0: Man (laughs) in the high castle. High castle. Yeah, I read that book back in the um, nineties.
2: You know, after we, you and I had talked about it, um, two other people, independent, so three independent people had told me about the book. Or I guess there's a TV show. It's on Amazon Prime. Yeah,
1: it's
0: a big show right now. Yeah, yeah.
2: So, So I bought the book.
0: I, pro- I haven't ro- watched the show, but um, I subscribe to the philosophy that the book is better.
1: <laughs> 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 whatever whatever story it shall be, the book is
0: always better. The book is always better. I'm sure we could think of some exceptions.
2: <laughs> I started thinking that right now.
0: So, uh, yeah,
1: I got a poppy cassette. Bumps me out. Hmm.
2: I'm pretty sure if it's a Shimano, you can find a new cog.
1: Yes. Well, I actually want to lighten this bike up, and I've got some SRAM 11-speed stuff floating around. Mm. So I'm actually going to go back to that and try oh. the new 46-tooth wolf tooth because oh. they have the expander. Co- <laughs> Tawny's like, you got to be kidding me.
0: Well, <laughs> it's more just that I don't feel like that's the way to um, have SRAM show you that they're better than Shimano.
1: No, I I, I certainly agree. But... <laughs> As far as the lightest weight cassette, those SRAM 11-speed machine cassettes are the lightest cassettes you can get. Those are light. By a long shot. Yeah. Even more so than Eagle cassettes. They're right. Yeah. Notably lighter than Eagle cassettes. Substantially lighter than Shimano cassettes.
0: Probably still lighter than the new XTR cassettes. Oh, I would almost... Well, the XTR 12-speed cassettes, I'm fairly certain, heavier than an Eagle. Like... I think even, I think it's about the weight of a GX Eagle cassette. I, wow, Whoa. it could it could be off.
2: Why don't you go back to the ten speed machined trim? Ooh, you can go ten. That speed. Should, That that stuff is light. <laughs> it is light. That is I. Ha- and works on a standard
1: cassette body. Yep, that's what
0: I have. And you've got my- the horses to push that. <laughs> 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 I got the ponies. <laughs> the wattage. The <laughs> wattage.
1: Might as well just go with my single-speed road warrior bike. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have one of those. Actually, I'm using one of those right now.
1: I guess that's cool.
2: It is. Yeah. yeah. And it's very light.
1: Yep. Do we want to just wrap it up with one question? We're in an hour and a half.
2: That was one question.
0: Yeah. That's just, do we want to oh, just okay, do the yeah, one? Like yeah. full mic drop moment right now? Yeah. Yep. All right. For Nathan Anok, love the bike you ride.